0: Those boys and girls that are going to children's church, you can be slipping out and finding your way. Thank you so much, ladies. Appreciate that so much. Be turning your Bibles, please, this morning to Revelation chapter 1 again. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I'm afraid at times that we are too familiar with Jesus. We're too familiar with Jesus. A.W. Tozer, writing years ago, said, Worship, I say, rises or falls on our concept of God. That is why I do not believe in these half-converted cowboys who call God the man upstairs. I do not think they worship at all because their concept of God is unworthy of God and unworthy of them. He went on to write, and if there is one terrible disease in the church of Christ, it is that we do not see God as great as he is. We're too familiar with God. Communion with God is one thing. Familiarity with God is quite another thing. I'm afraid, beloved, that so many have become so accustomed to hearing about Jesus and studying about Jesus and even singing about Jesus They have lost the wonder and the adoration and the reverence that is due to Him. In my study, as I've been looking at Revelation and and, and pouring through this passage before us, I ran across a question from the uh, Bible teacher, Chuck Swindoll, that's worth asking. Here's the question. Do I know and adore the awesome, glorious, powerful Jesus portrayed in the Bible? Or have I adopted a culturally appropriate mild-mannered, user-friendly Jesus after my own imagination? That's a question worth asking. That's a question each of us should be asking ourselves. Which Jesus are we worshipping? Are we worshipping the Jesus we find revealed in the pages of Scripture? Or are we worshipping the Jesus of our own imagination? God forbid... That we should ever become too familiar with Jesus, where we handle holy things glibly and lightly and carelessly. God forbid we should ever become too comfortable, too familiar with Jesus Christ. Now listen, He is, if we know Him, our Savior and friend. But we must never forget... That He is God. He is holy. He is awesome in splendor and glory. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I believe what we need today in our own individual lives, in our family, and in our church, we need a fresh view of the glorified Jesus. To capture as much as we can, and it's going to be a small amount because you know we're human, but to capture as much as we can. Just how gloriously awesome He really is. And we find such a vision of Jesus right here in Revelation chapter 1. The book that unveils Him. The book that is all about revealing Him. And I trust by now you found your place there in chapter 1. And as we unpack this passage, an awesome passage of Scripture, beginning at verse number 9 and reading through the end of the chapter, I want you to think about and ask yourself, is this the Jesus that I worship? Is this the Jesus I worship? Is this who I understand Jesus is? We'll begin reading there at verse number 9, Revelation chapter 1. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. He, hit, he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw it, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives And was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen. The things which are. The things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars. Which you saw in my right hand. And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. John saw a remarkable vision that Sunday. But before giving us the vision of Jesus, John takes just a moment to kind of set the stage, to allow us to know the when and the where and the who was involved in receiving this vision. He starts out in verse 9 simply calling himself I, John. I, John. There are no formal titles. He doesn't mention his apostleship. He doesn't mention any of his credentials. He just says, I, John. And then he identifies himself with other believers, those that were likewise in the same boat as he will, if you will, and those receiving the letter. He simply identified himself with those who would read it as a brother, a companion and a fellow partaker in three different areas. Did you notice it? He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm your brother. I'm your companion. I'm a fellow partaker in tribulation, in the kingdom and in the patience of Jesus Christ. It's the idea of fellowship. He says, we're fellowshipping in these things. We're fellowshipping in tribulation. We're fellowshipping in the kingdom and in the patience of Jesus Christ. Now, we think of fellowship in a totally different light today. Someone has said that most Christians have to have three essentials for fellowship. You know what they are? Food, folks, and fun. And you get together some food and some folks and fun, and you've got fellowship. And beloved, listen, there's nothing wrong with food, folks, and fun. And we enjoyed that, and we've enjoyed that here, and I hope we'll enjoy it in the future. But that's not not what John and the other believers are fellowshipping around here. Because I want you to understand something. Fellowship in the body of Christ is more than food, folks, and fun. In fact, their fellowshipping, as one put it, their fellowship was perseverance through tribulation in light of the coming kingdom. They were fellowshipping in those things. They shared those things. They did those things together. And, and I want you to understand that John and the other believers, they were struggling during this time. One scholar said toward the end of his reign, in the mid-90s, now this is not the nineteen nineties, this is the mid-nineties, all right? A long time ago. The mission banished the Apostle John to Patmos. He's on the island of Patmos. All the other original apostles are dead. John's the only one left. The church was discouraged and dispersed. Jerusalem had been devastated. The Lord had been gone back to heaven more than 60 years. And the only living Apostle of Jesus was an old man in his 90s, banished to a barren island. And, of course, we know it's this man here, John. And to make matters worse, the church was beginning to lose its first love for Jesus, which we'll see later on as we study in chapter 2. And so they're having struggles here. They're having some trials. They're having problems. They're having tribulation. And John himself, the same man that God used to give us this book in his gospel, earlier in his life, he recorded these words from the Lord Jesus in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So I want you to get the setting of what's going on here. John is not on the island of Patmos for vacation. He is not sitting on the rocking chair on the apostles retirement home thinking about all those glorious days. He is there as a prisoner. He is there because of the gospel, because of the word of God. The scholars tell us that Patmos is a barren. Volcanic island in the Aegean Sea, at its extremities about 10 miles long and 5 to 6 miles wide. John was probably sent to Patmos as a criminal. You see, as a Christian, he was a member of an illegal religious sect in in their mind. If if so, if that's all correct, the conditions under which he lived would have been harsh. Exhausting labor under the, the watchful eye and a ready whip of a Roman overseer. Insufficient food and clothing. Having to sleep on the bare ground. And it would have taken its toll on a 90-year-old man. He was not there in the lap of luxury. He was there suffering. Now, what was his crime? Well, it says there in the Scripture, his crime was faithfulness to the Word of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says there, I, John, both your brother and companion... It goes on to say in that verse, he was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So understand, Patmos was not paradise. It was a prison. It was the Alcatraz of its day. I remember standing on the edge there looking across the bay uh, at Alcatraz. I didn't have time to go visit it. We were there for a revival meeting. I was preaching a revival. We went on a whirlwind tour of that area of San Francisco during the day. But I remember looking across the bay at Alcatraz. That's one place I never really want to go as a resident, of course. Wouldn't mind visiting it and then leaving. But it's the Alcatraz of its day. Patmos was. And it reminds us, beloved, as we live the Christian life, as we follow the Lord Jesus, it's not always going to be a bed of roses. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You'll have problems. You'll have trials. And sometimes those trials come because you're trying to do right and live right and serve the Lord Jesus. That's what John was doing. He was put here because of his faithfulness to the word of God. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite pastors, said that John said he was our brother in tribulation. He said, have you ever thought that you would not suffer if you were a good Christian? Many people think their lives will be all cherries and no pits when they become Christians. But the truth is that Jesus did not come to get us out of trouble, but to get into trouble with us. Now think about that. Not to get us out of trouble, but get into trouble with us. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will experience tribulation. And the closer his second coming gets, the more intense the persecution will be. So here he is. He's on the island of Patmos. He's there because he's faithful to the Word of God. He was in difficult circumstances. But listen, God was not through with John. Jesus was not through with John. There came one particular Sunday, one particular Lord's Day. When John received a vision, so we see the tribulation of John, but I want us to turn and hasten on and notice the revelation of Jesus Christ beginning there in verse 10. Now, we've said from the very beginning that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of St. John the Divine. He's the one that recorded it and gave it to us. But it's not revealing John. It's revealing the Lord Jesus Christ. The very first five words of the book tell us exactly what the book is about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we're about to see a vision. Not of the humble carpenter of Nazareth. Who laid down his life on the cross. We're about to see Jesus in his glory. Now, please don't, don't misunderstand me. This is the same Jesus He's the one who was the humble carpenter, meek and mild, but he's no longer that we find here that he is radiant in his glory. And it's interesting to notice you read your Bible and study your Bible. We're never given a description of what Jesus looked like. Have you ever thought about that? Nowhere do we read that he was, you know, five foot nine or or whatever. We we can piece together some things. We know he was Jewish. We know he had a beard. But beyond that, we really don't know a lot about him. But then we come here, and we're giving a very specific description of what John saw when he saw the Lord Jesus. But you've got to remember something here as we study this. As Ray Stepner reminded me, as I studied it. Here, even in this very first chapter of Revelation, we discover truth imparted in the form of symbols. Jesus here is described in a way not to convey his actual physical appearance... But but the various aspects of his character and his attributes and his role. And as we read you're going to notice words like 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 and as. So this was like this and this was as that. In other words, when you read that there was a sword coming out of his mouth. I don't believe that we're we're to think that Jesus literally has a sword coming out of his mouth. It represents something, and we'll see it in a moment as we study it. Remember, there's a symbolic language being used here, so keep that in mind as we study. Here's what we're going to do today. It's a little bit different. I'm going to walk you through this vision and see what we can learn as we go through this. We're going to kind of go through it step by step. And I'm going to be honest with you, we're going to cover a lot of ground quickly, so you all need to listen fast. All right, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture and and you won't have time to turn, but I want you to jot the references down. You can go back later and look these up on your own and check me out and make sure that I'm leading you into truth. But I want you to see with me this vision of the glorified Lord. So I'm going to give you about 10 things that will give you some application later. But I want you to walk through this with you and see the glorified Lord Jesus Christ that John saw that day. So we're going to pick up our study there in verse 10. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud trumpet, a voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first, and the last. What you see, write it a book, send it to the seven churches. And he gives them the specific churches to send it to. There were more than seven in the area. But he's to send it to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now he's on the spirit He's in the spirit of the Lord's day, and he hears behind him a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, I want you to put yourself in sandals for a moment. Imagine how startling that would be. A trumpet-like sound coming from behind you. Be a great practical joke if you play the trumpet, right? But that's what happened here. Imagine the startle that he got. One scholar said in Scripture, the trumpet was used for several different things. It was used to signal the presence of God. It was used to call God's people to action or battle. It was used to call God's people to worship. It was used to to signal the impending judgment of God. The trumpet was a compelling wake-up call to God's people. And there's no way that John could have not paid attention at this point, is there? Because a trumpet-like voice comes behind him. He's startled. And we learned right away, as Jesus reveals himself here, that he is God. He is God. I want you to notice what he says about himself. He says there, as we look in verse 11, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Make no doubt about it. Jesus says, I am God. I am. We think about the great I am. I am Alpha and Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. We would say it this way in our language, right? He's the A to Z and everything in between. He's the first and the last. Everything. He says, I am God. And you need to understand that and get that settled. The rest of it flows out of that truth that He is God. And so we find this deity here. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In this trumpet-like voice, he says to John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So we know that he is God. But here's the blessing as you continue reading here. Though he's God, we find likewise that he is compassionate. He's compassionate. Say, so what do you mean, preacher? Well, think about it. He's God. He's the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He has to answer to no one. He can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, however he wants to do it. But did you notice the great compassion he has here as he tells John to write these things in a book? Write them on the scroll and send them to these seven churches. After he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last. What you see, what you're looking at, John, write in a book. And send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In verse 19, which is the key to the book, the outline to the book, he says, Write the things which you've seen, the things which are, the things which take place after this. Now, we're, going, we're not going to talk a lot about the churches today. I'll go ahead and give you kind of a preview. In the coming weeks, we're going to take the messages that the Lord gave to John concerning those seven churches. We're going to begin begin exploring those next week and looking at them church by church and message by message. But here's the point today. In compassion, he sends these churches and thus us a message. He sends them a personalized message. He sends them a message of warning, a message of encouragement. Aren't you glad that this awesome God we serve is compassionate enough and kind enough and gracious enough to reveal Himself to us? To say, listen, I want you to know me. I want you to serve me. I want you to worship me. John, write these things down. Don't forget them. Don't just hide them. Write them down and send them out. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? He's God, but He's compassionate and He reveals Himself to us. But we find something else about our God here, about the Lord Jesus. We find that He is present. He is present. Now, John hears this startling trumpet-like voice, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. Write these things and he begins, he's going to turn and see, who is it that's speaking? Who is it that's addressing Him? Verse 12, then I turn to see the voice. That spoke with me. And it's interesting. It says, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. As you read this, we kind of imagine, I guess, they must have been in a circular pattern, these seven golden lampstands. Because it says, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, so in the middle of those lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And it says there it. It's one like the Son of Man. That's, of course, a title for the Lord Jesus. This is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're told what these lampstands represent. You know, we talk about symbols. And we're told in verse 20 that these lampstands, they represent the seven churches. So the idea here is these seven lampstands representing those seven churches. And in the midst, in the middle of those seven churches, who's present? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the midst of those churches. In fact, it says in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars. Remember, he has seven stars in his hand. They are the angels or more properly, the messengers. We believe it means the pastors of those seven churches. So what he's saying really is, listen, I'm in the midst of those churches and I hold the pastors in my hand. He is present among these churches Now, they were going through difficulty and trials and struggles, as was John. But Jesus says, listen, I'm in the midst. And he saw him standing there in the midst. He's present. And may I say today that here he is present. He is present. Amen. Now, he is God. He's compassionate. He is present. But let's keep looking at the vision now. We notice next that he is our high priest. He's our high priest. In verse 13, it says he had a garment down to his feet and he was girded about the chest with a golden band. Let me share some scripture. And I told you I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. You jot down the references. Listen to what it talks about. The priest garments in Leviticus sixteen four. he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban, he shall be attired these are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. So we find there a picture of Jesus as our high priest. There's also a thought there maybe of his kingdom and him being a king. But the main focus, I think, as I've said it, is his being a high priest. Now, he is our high priest. And as our high priest, he's offered his body as a sacrifice to save us from our sin. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12 talks about that. But Christ came as high priest. Of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves. You know, back in the Old Testament, they would use these animals to cover, to cover, to cover. But that's not the kind of sacrifice that Jesus offered. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And so when John looks at this glorified picture of Jesus, this vision, as he sees Jesus, he sees him as our great high priest, having offered his body once for all to save us from our sin. But you know what? He also continues to minister. Remember, he's in the midst of the churches. He holds the pastors in his hand. And here we find him ministering to the body of believers, to the church. Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Think about that. He always lives to make intercession. As a great high priest, he's still still ministering on our behalf. And John looks and he sees, okay, here's the Son of Man in the midst of the churches. He is God. He is compassionate. Uh, He is present. He is our great high priest, but he's not done. As he keeps looking, what you notice, fifthly here this morning, he is pure. Verse 14. His head and hair were white like wool. As white as snow. Now, have you already noticed we're comparing Scripture with Scripture? We're seeing what's revealed here. We're looking throughout Scripture, looking at the symbolic usage. And we find here purity. Isaiah said in chapter 1, verse 18, remember, it just said his head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. Isaiah 1, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be what? As white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be what? As wool. There's a picture of his purity. He's absolutely, totally pure. But it also probably speaks of him being the ancient of days. It speaks of his eternality. The fact that he, there is no beginning, no ending. He's eternal. If you go back and look at Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9, listen to what Daniel says in Daniel 7 9. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. So we have the idea here he is pure and he is eternal. He's the Ancient of Days. So we continue to build and see just how awesome, how great the Lord Jesus Christ really is. But we're not done yet. Because he continues to look here and he's describing what he's seeing. He talks about the various aspects of this vision. He says his head and hair are white like wool. It's white as snow. Then he talks about his eyes. His eyes like a flame of fire. Then he looks at his feet. His feet were like, you've seen the, the, the words there, were like fine brass. They were like it. His feet were like fine brass. His eyes were like a flame of fire, as if refined in a furnace. And so what we have here is a picture of him being judge. He is judge. He's judge. And his eyes speak of judgment, and his his brass, like feet, speak of judgment. His eyes are penetrating. They see right through us. There's nothing we can hide from him. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We've talked about in days gone by. As believers, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, not concerning our salvation. That's subtle once forever at the cross. We'll stand there for rewards and our lives will be judged and he'll see right through us. They're penetrating. And then, of course, the brass like feet also are a picture of judgment that he can crush and judge. So he is judge. So we're building this picture We're learning. About our glorified Lord. We've got to keep going though. Would you notice next that he is powerful? The next thing mentioned is his voice. Now in verse number 10 it was likened to a trumpet. A trumpet like voice. Here in verse number 10. Excuse me. uh, Here in uh, verse number 15. It's a sound of many waters. Perhaps like a mighty waterfall. Cascading over a cliff. Perhaps like the ocean waves slapping against the shore. Imagine the power, the sound. In fact, listen to what the Bible says about his voice. Psalm 29, verses 3 through 5. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. Psalm 29, 7 through 9. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple, everyone says glory. Just a small picture of how powerful just His voice is. He's powerful. Think about it. His is the voice that spoke the world into existence. That's how powerful His voice is. Who can outshout Him? Uh, who can quiet him? Who can tell him to be quiet? His voice is the voice of the Lord. Powerful in majesty. And we find that he is powerful. It's compared to a trumpet earlier in the passage, compared to a, a many waters later. He is powerful. But we're not done yet. As the picture is still being drawn for us here, we find next that he's in control. He's in control. Verse 16. He had in his hand seven stars. He had in his hand seven stars. Now, we're told that these seven stars, again, in verse 20, are the angels of the seven churches. Some believe that they are angelic beings. Some believe, no, they're simply pastors or elders in the church. Because literally you could translate this messengers. I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I I lean towards them being the pastors of the churches. Why? Well, primarily because if this is a message to the angels, here's what's going on. God gave the message to Jesus who gave it to an angel who gave it to John to give back to an angel. That just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, that's why I believe what we have here is God gave the message to Jesus who through an angel gave the message to John who through John gave it to the elders, the pastors of these seven churches. Now, here's the picture. He is in control. And whether or not you take it to being angelic beings or pastors, the truth is still the same. He holds them in his hand. And the fact that they are in his right hand means that they are under his control and under his authority. He's in control. There's also something else, a great blessing as you look at this. Some also see the fact that they are in his hand. That they're there as a means of protection as well. But as we continue studying, though, here's the main point, I believe. He's in control. They're under his authority. By the way, although it may not seem like it at times, as you watch the news and read the Charlotte Observer, beloved, He is in control. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. No man can stay his hand and say, "What doest thou?" He's in control. We got to hasten. Told you, there's a lot. You listening? You still listening? Fast. Number nine. He is our protector. We move from his right hand to his mouth, verse 16, out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword. Now think about this for a moment. We think about his word. We think about truth. We think about the Bible. We think about the revelation. When you think about the word and the sword, you probably think about Hebrews 4.12, don't you? For the word of God is living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing him into the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you're right in thinking that. We think about this, though, this two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. We think about it in the means that he is our protector. Why? If you fast forward, I want to ask you to turn, but just listen to Revelation 19.15. Revelation 19.15 says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. So we see that picture again. But listen to the rest of 19.15. That with it He should strike the nations. And He Himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so we find that He is our protector. He's in control and He's all-powerful and He's our protector. He's able to protect the church by the power of His Word. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build My church and the gates of hell. Shall not prevail against it. He is our protector. And so we find our almighty God here. The Lord Jesus Christ in all this glorious brings us to this last thought. And that is this. He is glorious. Because it says in verse 16 what? It ends by saying, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Think about going out and looking up at the sun today. Don't look long, by the way, but just go out and take a glance up and you shield your eyes. He says, The countenance of the glorified Lord was like the sun shining in its strength. He is glorious, beloved. This is our Lord, this is our Savior. This is almighty God, the Lord Jesus. That's why I said at the beginning, we are at times too familiar with Jesus. He is not our big buddy. He is not our chum. He is not our pal. He is the Lord of glory. And we see him in his glory here. John MacArthur once shared a story about a man who was boasting of his intimacy with Christ. You know, as pastors, I'll just be honest with you, you hear weird stuff at times. And people tell you, tell you weird stuff. And you're the pastor. <laughs> you're thinking, how, how can I respond to this? Because what they're saying is weird. What they're saying is off base. What they're saying is not biblical. How can I kindly say, you're weird? But anyway, um, <laughs> but this man was sharing the story. Nobody's going to tell me anything anymore. This man was sharing the story. And, and he said to John MacArthur, Jesus and I are good friends. We're good friends. He says, sometimes when I'm shaving, he comes in the bathroom with me. And John said, literally? Oh, yes, he comes in his body, in the body. And John said, well, what does he do? The man replied, he he just puts his arm around my shoulder while I'm shaving. And John MacArthur said, is that right? He said, well, what do you do then? I just keep shaving. And John MacArthur responded, then that's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. I don't know who's coming in your bathroom and putting his arm around you, but it's not Jesus. (laughs) I added that part. Listen. I want you to understand something. If Jesus walked in here this morning in all of His radiant glory and splendor and power, we would not clap. We would not cheer. We would not just sit here we would collapse to the floor on our faces before him. We would. If he walked into all of his glory and splendor, we would fall before him. Because I want you to notice how John responded. Now remember, this is the apostle John. This is the one who walked with Jesus and learned from Jesus and and, and, ate with and saw Jesus do such wonderful things and, and, and was loved by Jesus. But he sees Jesus here. It is glory. Did, now, we know our first response should be worship. We, we worship him today. But I want you to notice how John responded. And the response we find here is the way we should respond. Notice, first of all, submission. Submission. And I'm not, I'm not even sure that's the right word. It, it probably should be stronger. I don't know how to even say it. Because look at verse 17. John says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. So I said submission. He falls before him. He's overwhelmed by the sight of the glorified Lord of glory. It's just overwhelming. It's just too much to take in. That's why I said we're too familiar with Jesus. And He's not the man upstairs. He's not your buddy. He's not your pal. I hope He's your Savior and Lord. And yes, He's your friend. But He's the Lord of glory. And we find that we should submit ourselves to Him. He is God alone. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. We submit to Him. But I want you to find something else here. This is such a blessing. We not only find submission, we find comfort. I love what John says next. After he says, "I fell at his feet is dead," it says, "Next, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, "Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last." The same hand that held the seven stars, those pastors, reaches out and touches John and says, "Don't be afraid." I'm the first and the last. I I showed you before, didn't I? See how compassionate our Savior is. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we are frail. He knows that we're human. He knows that we we fall before, but He reaches out His hand and He says to John, Do not be afraid. I'm the first. I'm the last. We find submission. We find comfort. And then we find assurance. (laughs) And I love this. He says in in verse 18, he says to John, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades, of hell and of death. John, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You're going through all these trials, these troubles. You're, You're on the island of Patmos. You're separated from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those whom you loved and shepherded. And you're in difficulty and you're you're laboring along there. But you don't have to worry and fret. You don't have to wonder if everything's going to be okay. Listen, John, I am Him who lives. I die. But listen, I'm alive forevermore. I live forever. And listen, I have the keys to Hades' death. I've defeated death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. John, be assured today. I am the first, the last. I'm alive forever. I have victory over death. We find assurance. And I don't know what you're going through today. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Have that assurance today. That you serve the one who was living. Then died. But now is alive forevermore. He's defeated. Death, hell, and the grave. You don't have to worry and fret. Just trust Him. And walk in assurance of His glory. And His grace. We find submission. We find comfort. We find assurance. But there's one more thing. And that is we find service. We find service. Verse 19. The Lord Jesus says to John, write, I want you to write, write the things which you have seen. That's chapter one. The things which are, that's chapters two and three. The things which will take place after this, that's chapters four to the end of the book. So I want you to write. John, I have a job for you. I'm not done with you. Here you are on the island of Patmos. Here you are suffering my sake, but I'm not done with you. I'm going to give you one more message that I want you to write down and send to the seven churches who will ultimately send to all of us Today. Sometimes in the greatest area of our trials and struggles and problems, God can work the greatest way in our life. And sometimes we'd be sent to barren places to be fruitful, don't we? Just as John was here. And John was given responsibility and we are as well. Yes, we worship. Yes, we stand in awe. But then we step out in faith and serve the Lord of glory. Beloved, this morning we've seen Jesus. Jesus. We've seen that He is God. He is compassionate. He is present. He is our High Priest. He's pure. He's the Judge. He's in control. He's our Protector. He is glorious. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Great I Am, the First and the Last. Amen, amen, amen. This is our Savior and Lord and our soon-coming King. And may we never, ever become too familiar with Him. But may we, like John, be in submission to Him. Be comforted by Him. Be assured of his victory. and Be serving him faithfully as you worship him for all eternity. And may we be looking for his soon return. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Before I pray, do you know this, Jesus? Has there been a time in your life you realize that you're a sinner? Your sin has separated you from a holy God. But God loved you so much, He sent Jesus to die in your place. He was living, he died, but now he's alive forevermore. The Bible says if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, he will save you. And you can know this Lord today. And I invite you in a moment when we sing, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you to come and allow me or someone here to take a Bible and share Christ with you. For those of you who do know him, let me ask you a question. Have you become too casual with Jesus, too comfortable, too familiar with him? Maybe today you need to come in reverence and submission and humbly bow the knee again to the Lord of glory and ask him to let you see just a glimpse of how great he is and to keep him there in your life and to serve him as he is the Lord. Of glory, Father, thank you for this picture, this vision that you gave to John and then to us. Lord, I know that though we spent this time talking about it, we are only scratching the surface of how great Jesus is. Lord, we are overwhelmed when we think about how awesome he is. Lord, help us to live with that reality in our mind while He's our Savior and Lord and Friend, while You're our Father, that we never forget that You are God alone. All that we are, all that we have, all all of us are here by Your grace. Help us to glorify You in our lives. Help us to live lives of submission, being comforted by You, but also live lives of service to you as we worship you and as we are assured by you. Bless this invitation I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I thought about what song to close this service. I thought about two hundred and two. Oh hell the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's our desire today. If you don't know him, allow someone to share him with you today, please. If you do, would you in fresh, new way, praise him today as the Lord of glory. 202, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing.